Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. We've been emphasizing the last several weeks, Proverbs 14, verse 12. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I think a lot of people, a lot of believers are going by what seems right to them. But that doesn't necessarily make it right. Because many times what seems right to us is the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, 12. Spiritual death. What makes something right or wrong is what the scriptures say. Not necessarily what we think is right. We may think it's wise to do such and such. Well, I know some gay preachers that I've debated. They think it's wise to allow gay marriage. They think it, it seems right to them. They say, well, you can, they can avoid fornication, homosexual fornication if we let them marry. That yeah, seems right to them to allow gay marriage. They, maybe they have some good human reasoning. That's irrelevant. What's only relevant in this is what does the Bible say? And it clearly condemns homosexual behavior in many passages, such as Romans 1, 26 and 27. And when Jesus quotes Genesis 2 in defining what marriage is in Matthew 14, Matthew 19, 4 and 5, he says, Have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? And the husband should cleave to his wife. So marriage is defined by the Bible as between male and female. It doesn't matter what seems right to us. It may seem right for the Catholic Church to sprinkle babies for baptism. But we know from passage, passages like Romans 6, 4 and Acts 8, 35 and 37 that baptism has to be an immersion of a believer. It may seem right. Well, I'm told 75% of the congregations across America have allowed women to preach from the pulpit. It seems right to them. They may have been told that if you don't do that, it's not politically correct, that you're being prejudiced. So it seems right to them to allow women preachers, even though God says it's a shame for women to preach, to speak in the church, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches. It doesn't matter what seems right to us. It only matters what seems right to God, and he reveals to us, we're not going to be able to read his mind. He tells us what seems right to him through the scriptures. We have to go by the scriptures. In contrast to that, Deuteronomy 12, verse 8 says, You shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Here are people back during the Old Testament times doing what's right in their own eyes, what seemed right to them. And he said, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do what's right in your own eyes. That's condemned in the Old Testament. We want to do what's right in God's eyes. And last week we mentioned about homosexuality. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 from the New King James Version. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, neither homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Clearly saying people involved in these sins that don't repent are not going to be saved. And guess what? He's talking to Christians here. And we mentioned last week. And we got a caller to call about it. We mentioned last week that, well, that would mean Christians can fall from grace. They can be lost. Of course, this verse says that if you're involved in these sins, you want to inherit the kingdom of God is written to Christians. Yes, it would include non-Christians. If they're involved in these sins, they're going to be lost too. Christians, if they get involved in these sins, they're going to be lost unless they repent. That's clearly condemning homosexuality. But I noticed this from the Birmingham News. 2003, the Episcopal Church approved its first openly gay bishop, the Reverend Gene Robinson. Robinson replied, we have many times departed from Scripture. 
Robinson cited the examples of ordaining women priests and accepting divorce in the church's departures. Just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. You see, it's not just that the Episcopal Church is compromised and now accepts homosexuality. That's bad enough. But notice their reasoning. Here's a quote, what they said. Just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. They're not only compromising from what God says, they're admitting they're not following the Bible anymore. Just because the scriptures say it wrong, that it says it's wrong, that doesn't make it wrong. They're admitting that the scripture is not their guide anymore, that they're doing what's right in their own eyes. They're doing what seems right to them. Most churches are like that. I don't know about you, that seems pretty arrogant to me. If in the Bible, God defines marriage as between male and female, and we change the definition to a commitment between two people, we're changing God's definition. That means we think we know better than God. That's, that's very strange to me. That's inexcusable. Here's how Matthew 19, 4 and 5 reads. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, shall cleave to his wife? They twain shall be one flesh. And according to Time magazine, in 1991, this same Presbyterian church came out with this, quote, the church should, quote, reevaluate its definition of sin to reflect the changing mores of society. I want you to compare that with the definition of sin according to God. First John 3, 4, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is defined by God, by the Bible, as a transgression of his law. But now churches are saying, no, that's not the right definition for sin, that we should reevaluate our definition of sin to reflect the changing mores of society. This means 100 years ago, if society says homosexuality is wrong, that means it's a sin. But if society now says homosexuality is right, that means it's not a sin anymore. It's changed, even though the Bible hasn't changed. What God said hasn't changed. But because society defines for us what's sin and what's not sin according to this Presbyterian Church, USA. I mean, this is blatant. People, churches, most churches, most likely the church that you belong to is now going by what seems right to them, what's right in their own eyes instead of what the Bible says. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. We don't decide for ourselves what's right and wrong in religion because our ways and thoughts are so much lower than God. He's the one that decides. He's the authority. He's the ultimate authority. He decides what's right and wrong. We don't get to decide what's right and wrong. We just submit to what he says is right and wrong. We have to recognize that his ways and thoughts are much higher than ours much higher than ours, and we must then submit and trust that what he says is right. Well, we've talked some about homosexuality. Let's talk about a, a second cousin issue to that, divorce and remarriage. Here's Matthew 19, 9. Jesus said here, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Put away is just the old King James way of saying divorce. The newer translations say divorce in these cases. You know, this is what all churches used to believe at one time. If you go back 100 years ago, every church would have stood for the truth on this, what Jesus taught in Matthew 19, 9, that if you divorce your spouse for any reason other than fornication and you remarry, you're in adultery. 
And so, of course, logically then, if you want to repent of that and get forgiven, you're going to have to commit to stopping the adultery, which means you have to terminate that second or third marriage and seek reconciliation with your original spouse. They all taught the truth on that. You have to end that adulterous marriage. You can't just say you're sorry all and, and please forgive me, God, of adultery, all the while while you're planning to stay in a marriage and continue to commit adultery with that unscriptural wife. I mean, just like two gay men who are married. They can't just say, I'm sorry, I'm repenting of homosexuality, God. Please forgive me, but I'm going to stay in this sexual relationship with this man. That's not being sorry. That's not repentance. You can't receive forgiveness like that. A hundred years ago, everybody stood for the truth on this, that you have to terminate that second or third marriage. And get out of that. You can't stand an adulterous marriage. Well, we have a liberal, not a conservative, admit that in the Orange County, California Register. Anthony Dunavant said, some conservative groups believe that divorced people who marry another spouse are living in sin. That's exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew 19.9. If you divorce and marry another spouse, you're living in sin. Adultery is what Jesus called it. Then Anthony Dunavant goes on to say, however, the number of divorces in the United States has led most denominations away from that teaching. So he's saying they all used to stand for the truth on this, but most denominations have gone away from that teaching. Not because they restudied the Bible and found out they were wrong about it. No, because the number of divorces increased. Well, back when only one out of every 50 marriages ended in a divorce, it was easy to stand for the truth on this, that if you're in a second or third marriage, you got to terminate that marriage, go back to your original wife. But when divorce started occurring in one out of two marriages, it became much more difficult to stand for the truth on this. And so most churches, most preachers compromise. Why? In the name of numbers. It's going to hurt our numbers terribly if we say that people in second or third marriages have to get out of that marriage to be considered a, a member here. Because so many people are in these second or third adulterous marriages and they're just going to go to another church that will accept them. And so the people, the church is standing for the truth on this. We'll lose out on all these members. So I, I'm, I'm thinking the, the number is 95% of churches have compromised on this in the last hundred years. All of the churches stood for the truth. You got to get out of, second, of a second or third marriage unless the original marriage, you divorced your spouse for fornication. You got to get out, terminate that marriage. All the churches stood for that hundred years ago. Now less than 5%. They compromise. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. They're doing what seems right to them. They're not following the guidebook for religion anymore. The lines are wide open. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. I want you to notice this quote from the Watchtower Witnesses, the, the JWs. They say, we find that people cannot see the divine plan in studying the Bible by itself. We see also that if anyone lays aside the scripture studies, what they mean by that is their literature, the Watchtower literature, the Watchtower books. Even after he has read them for 10 years, if he then lays them aside and ignores them and goes to the Bible alone, our experience shows that within two years he goes into darkness. On the other hand, if he had merely read the scripture studies and had not read a page of the Bible, he would be in the light. <laughs> so the Watchtower religion is admitting they don't really use the Bible as their final authority. They evidently think a person would be better off spiritually, better off with God. If they read their literature alone, better off doing that than studying the Bible. 
what they do is they position their material, human material, above the Bible and what they're going to follow. Talk about doing what's right in their own eyes. Talk about doing what seems right to them. The end thereof are the ways of death. I'm warning you. I'm warning everybody, including myself. If we don't follow the scriptures, then we're just doing what seems right to us. The Watchtower folks are saying you're better off reading our literature than the Bible. And that probably explains why they're wrong about a lot of things. For example, they teach that Jesus was not deity. He's not God, that he was Michael the archangel and then became a man. But John 20, 28 and about a dozen other passages teach that Jesus was God. Not God the Father, but deity like his father. John 20, 28 reads this way. And Thomas answered and said unto him, talking to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Thomas called Jesus God. If you read the next verse, you see that Jesus accepted that. He, he said, you're right, in effect. He is God. He is deity. He's not Michael the archangel that's turned to a man. The Watchtower folks should know better, but the reason they don't is because they read their own literature, and to them, that settles the truth, not the Bible, not God's word. They know better than God. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. Here's John 1, 1 and 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We know this is talking about Jesus because it says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. He was in the beginning, the word. He was with God, meaning Jesus was with God the Father, and the word was God. He's deity himself. That only makes sense. Carol and I, my wife and I, are of the human species. We have four children. What species do you think our children are? Human, of course. Well, if God had a son, then you should expect him, the son, to be God. That's exactly what we read in the Bible. Also, the Watchtower folks, don't, don't they don't believe in H-E-L-L, everlasting punishment. But let me read just one verse on that. Matthew 25, 46. And these, talking about the wicked in the context, shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So there is such a thing as everlasting punishment. Well, the Watchtower say, well, God, he's too loving. He'd never do that. But his word, the Bible that he wrote, says that he does. See? It doesn't seem right to them that for there to be an everlasting punishment, so they don't believe in it. It doesn't seem right in their own eyes, so they don't believe in it. But the Bible teaches, therefore, it's true. There's all kinds of verses about H-E-L-L, everlasting punishment in the Bible, and I'm pretty sure they're put there to try to motivate us to serve us, to serve God faithfully. It, it's written in the Bible because it's true. It, it really exists, and it's written in the Bible so that we'll fear it. And want to avoid it until we'll serve God in order to avoid it. Well, we've already read this passage, Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Isn't that what the Watchtower people are doing? They're just doing what seems right to them. Isn't that what almost every believer is doing? Preachers, churches, they're doing what seems right to them. That's why churches have gay marriages. That's why churches have women preachers. That's why churches sprinkle babies for baptism. That's why they allow divorce and remarriage. Divor they'll say something like divorce is regrettable, but divorced people are allowed to remarry. So churches marry people, and when they do, they're joining two people into an adulterous relationship. They don't really care what Jesus said in Matthew 19, not because they think it's best. They're doing what seems right to them. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755.
we've mentioned women preachers. Well, you know, if it were up to me, I would allow women preachers. Well, I think women are just as smart as men. I know they are. They teach just as well as men. So why wouldn't we allow women preachers? That's my reasoning anyway. But is it up to me? It's not up to me. God said this in 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Churches that allow women preachers are doing what's right in their own eyes, aren't they? I'm told 75% of churches across America and Canada allow women to preach from the pulpit in the church assembly or church service. Why? It says in the Bible, God's word, he said, let your women keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted unto them to speak. It's a shame for women to speak in the church. Why do they allow it? Because they're doing what's right in their own eyes. Because they're doing what seems right to them. Don't they realize that if you do what seems right to you, they end there over the ways of death, spiritual death? If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. We need to learn a lesson from the Old Testament. I'm going to read Numbers 22, 18, 24, 13, and Deuteronomy 5, 32 uh, together because they say almost exactly the same thing. Judded together. That's the word I was looking for. Balaam said, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord to do less or more. I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own mind. But what the Lord saith, that will I speak. Ye shall observe to do therefore as God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So when we're approaching how to practice the religion of God, the true religion, Christianity, we're supposed to follow God's word and we're supposed to follow the word of the Lord to do no more or no less. Not to do good or bad of our own mind. Just because we think it's something good doesn't necessarily mean it's good. There's a way which seemeth right unto, the, unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We're not to go to the right hand or to the left of the word of God. We're supposed to strictly follow God's word. That defines for us. God's word defines for us what the truth is. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, what do we learn about the action of baptism from Romans 6, verse 4, which reads this way. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. And like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So the Bible says we're buried with Christ by baptism. You know, when somebody dies, we take him out to the graveyard to bury him. Does that mean we sprinkle a little dirt on their head, put them all the way up under the ground? We know what the word buried means. So if baptism is a burial, that would mean we sprinkle a little water on their head, we put them all the way up under the water. That seems pretty simple when you look at it that way, doesn't it? Yet, we read, here's a quote about the Catholic Church. The church at one time, this is from the Catholics, the church at one time practiced immersion. This was up to the 13th century. The Council of Ravenna in 1311 changed the form from immersion to forth. So the Catholic Church, for like 1,300 years, practiced immersion for baptism, burial for, bab burial for baptism, just like Romans 6, 4 says, Yet they changed it to sprinkling. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. Donnie from Virginia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. 
Yes, I was wondering if the Book of Mormon is true or not true. Okay. You know what I'd like to do, Donnie? I have two different outlines I would like to send you. Okay, which one outline shows contradictions between the Bible and the Book of Mormon. And the other, well, both of them really do that. It proves that the Book of Mormon teaches directly opposite of the Bible on many things. So if the Bible is true and it's from God, and the Book of Mormon, Donnie, teaches things contrary to the Bible, could the Book of Mormon still be true? No. No. The Book of Mormon and the Bible both can't be from God. They both can't be true because there's all kinds of differences and contradictions, if you think of it. So the Book of Mormon contradicts the Bible in many places. We know the Bible is from God. Therefore, we know the Book of Mormon is not from God. It's not true. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy word, through thy truth. Thy word is true. So the word, the Bible defines for us the truth, not the Book of Mormon. Any follow-up, Donnie? Uh, well, no, that's kind of what I was thinking. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to try to call you after the program. Please accept my call. And then I'll get your uh, email address and maybe I can send you these outlines. Okay? Yes, sir. That's good. Have a good day. Have a good evening, Donnie. If anybody else would like me to send you these outlines, then you could, uh, well, after this program is over, you can call or text me on my cell phone number and request it. And I'll send you these outlines the email. You give me your email address, and I'll announce my cell number at the end of the program. But we see the Catholic Church change baptism from burial to sprinkling. They admit that. So they not only have compromised what the Bible says about the mode of baptism, they're admitting it. They admit they changed it in 1311 at the Council of Ravenna. They're admitting they're not, admitting they're not following the Bible anymore. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. First Kings 12.33, talking about Rehoboam, says that he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the 15th day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart. Well, they're doing a lot of things wrong here, I'm convinced. The phrase I want to think about here is, which he had devised of his own heart. See, Rehoboam, Jeroboam is going by what he devises in his own heart. That's what many churches are doing today. What about the purpose of baptism? Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Contrast that with the standard manual for the Baptist churches says this is most likely that in the apostolic age, when there was but one Lord, one faith and one baptism and no differing denominations existed, the baptism of a convert by that very act constituted him a member of the church. And it once endowed him with all the rights and privileges of full membership. In that sense, baptism was the door into the church. Now it is different. Baptism was the door into the church. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. But the Baptist church says now it's different. So the Baptist church compromised the purpose of baptism, and they're admitting it. They, they admit what it used to be in the Bible times. They said now it is different. Did God change only this? Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. John 17, 17. God's word's not changed. So none of these issues has God changed on. People have. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. Why? Second Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires because they have itching ears. They will heap for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth. They want to believe what they want to believe so they get preachers that will preach what they want to believe, what seems right to them, what's right in their own eyes instead of what God says. If you want a free Bible study with me, call or text me at 256-682-9753. Free one-hour phone Bible study at your 